Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. To our very special 90th episode. Yay! And we are so excited to do this, guys. We're doing something a little different. As we had mentioned, we're going to be going over some of our favorite Greek myths. Yes, we originally were thinking of doing our favorite myths, period, but that was too hard. It was way too hard. It was too hard of a prompt. So we decided to focus on Greek myth. I mean, even narrowing down my favorite yeah. Greek myth is really difficult. So it took me actually quite a while to, to, my, to do process of elimination and say, okay, this is the one I want to do. Same. Definitely same. And this was inspired by one of our weirdo listeners. Yes. Who asked us on one of our, like, ask us anything on Instagram stories, asked us what our favorite myths were. Right, exactly. And... We couldn't give an answer just at the time. Or yeah. did we give an answer? I don't remember. I can't recall if we did because this is a very hard prompt, but we wanted to dedicate our special 90th episode to answering that question at length. So what we're going to do today is Andrew is going to go first and he's going to tell us the tale of his favorite Greek myth. And then I will go and I'll tell you all the tale of my favorite Greek myth. Yes, exactly. And obviously, guys, we're talking about myths today. Uh, this is not history, so I just wanted to be very upfront and clear about that. <laughs> Mythology. Mythology, indeed. AKA stuff that didn't happen, but has really influenced a lot of stuff. Oops. And influenced <laughs> things that did happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so without further ado, shall I just go? Yes, please kick us off. Okay, well today, I'm going to delve into the life of Theseus. He's one of the most celebrated Greek heroes. He's the quasi-founder of Athens. And one of his most, if not his most infamous exploit was within a labyrinth and he had a certain meeting with a very specific monster. <gasps> a monster? A monster, indeed. Please, tell us more. Yes. Well, Theseus was a somewhat unique figure in Greek mythology, so he was claimed by both the mortal and the world of the divine. Mm. His mother was a mortal, Aethra, and, but... He is said to have had two fathers. Okay, I don't know how that works out. <laughs> it's Greek mythology. You kind of just got to like... Go with know, it. Go with the flow here. So one of his fathers was King Aegis, or Aegeus, and he was the king of Athens. Um, and his other father was Poseidon, the god of the sea. Wow, that's some real like impressive uh, lineage there. <laughs> yes. So this dual parentage places Theseus in sort of this intriguing liminal space between the mortal and divine realms. Yeah. He, he's mixed. He's mixed. Yeah. Uh -huh. Has two dads. And has two dads. That's very unique. Yeah. Two dads and a mom. So that's what's unique. Yeah, exactly. And as the story goes, Theseus's life was shaped by destiny from his earliest days. So King Aegeus was fearful that he might not have an heir. So he did what a lot of folks did back then. He went to the Oracle of Delphi. Of course. That's because where you gotta get your answers. Yeah. And she said, quote, Do not loosen the bulging mouth of the wineskin until you have reached the height of Athens, lest you die of grief. 
end quote. I have no idea what that means. Well, that's interesting because it meant nothing to King Aegeus either. Oh my god, so he had the same reaction as me? Yeah, he was just like, what the hell are you saying? Okay. Um, but I want you guys to remember this because towards the end of the story, this will actually mean something. Can you repeat it one more time? Do not loosen the bulging mouth of the wineskin until you have reached the height of Athens, lest you die of grief. Okay. Weirdos, we're remembering that. Yes. So, anyways, he visited a buddy of his, Pythias, king of Trozen, and he was a sent er, and this king of Trojan or Trozen, excuse me, essentially suggested, Hey, why don't you just get with my daughter, Aethra? Okay. As well, any good friend does? Right, right. Right. Hooking it up with his daughter. I mean, guys, this is ancient Greece after all, so there you go. But long story short, we have they have relations. Not we, they have relations. <laughs> God. Are you in the story now too? I'm in the story now. Are you the third dad? I'm the th- I'm the fourth dad apparently. <laughs> oh no, yeah, the third dad, yeah. Fourth parent. Okay, so long story short, they have relations, yet she also, you know, has a spiritual union with Poseidon, hence the two dads. I'm not going to dive into it. It's just really weird and it's it's not important for the the broader story. Is that what they're calling it? A spiritual union? <laughs> <laughs> You're just not going to have to question this. We're moving on. <laughs> I can see why. For yours in particular, you had the big disclaimer of like, remember, this is not history. Yes. This is myth. Yes, and this is why. Because we're off to a very, <coughs> we're off to a strange start. We are. Um, but the important thing is Aethra is now preggers. Okay. Shortly later, King Aegeus hides his sword and sandals under a heavy rock. He instructs Aethra to tell Theseus about them when he grew old enough to move the rock, because I guess he knew that, you know, this woman was going to have his baby and it was going to be a male. Okay. The story doesn't dive into it that much. As to why, but yeah. But Mm -hmm. yeah. So years later, the time comes and a young, robust Theseus manages to lift the heavy rock Mm -hmm. and acquires his father's gifts. And upon learning about his lineage, he decides to make the journey to Athens to claim his rightful place as the heir to King Aegeus. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he decides to make this journey to Athens by land rather than by sea because it's more dangerous and, you know, he's a hero and that's what heroes do. So you are saying he chose land because land was more dangerous. Correct. Okay, I just wanted to clarify. Yes. So when you think of the labors of a Greek hero, especially in mythology... Like Heracles. You almost always associate that with Heracles, <laughs> or the Latinized version is Hercules. But Theseus also had six labors during this trip. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's it's not as well known as, obviously, Heracles is. is. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but the important thing to know here is that Theseus was all about justice and dispensing justice for the innocent. That's kind of his, like, mantra. Okay, so he's a bit of a, a Robin Hood figure, even, as he's doing this travel. With a lot more... Uh, a lot bloodier version of Robin Hood. Yes, oh, okay. that is true. It's not the version with the cute foxes? No, no, guys. This is Greek mythology. <laughs> so the most famous of his labors was dealing with the robber Sinus, who would tie his victims between two bent pine trees and then have them snap into pl- place, mm. dismembering them. I've heard of that before. We actually 
briefly mentioned this in one of our episodes in the past, and I couldn't remember which one it was. No wonder I've heard of that before. Yes, because I brought it up. (laughs) Well, Theseus, you know, kind of like the Michael Jordan quote, you know, he took exception to this. Okay. Yeah, that one went over your head, didn't it? Because he's really good? No, it's from... It doesn't matter. Okay, so he fought Sinus and slew him in the same manner that Sinus would subject his own victims. That's nice. Yes. That's definitely the justice theme coming in. Yes, he very much so is about justice. And, you know, on top of this, not only did Theseus, you know, dismember the guy, basically, he also seduced his daughter and fathered a child. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. That was extra. He did not need to do that to get his point across. I mean, he just wanted to make sure he was exceptionally clear. (laughs) That he was really getting getting this guy justice. Exactly. Okay, so he fathers a child on this journey during this labor. Got it. And there's, again, there's five other labors, but this one's my favorite one. And it it just fully encapsulates Theseus' desire for justice as well as his lust for life. Lust for life. That is one way of putting it. Yes, I agree as well. Well, before long, Theseus finally arrives in Athens, but he keeps his true identity under wraps for the time being. Not really sure why, but maybe just to like scope out the situation. Mm -hmm. He wanted his father, King Aegeus, just to recognize him for, you know, from his own deeds. I guess that's the reason, but it just doesn't make any sense to me, honestly. Okay. But again, it's Greek mythology, guys. However, Medea, the sorceress wife of King Aegeus, recognizes Theseus right away as the king's son and plots to have him killed. Darn it. I know, Medea. And by the way, she is a recurring villain in Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. I've heard of Medea before. She was featured heavily in the adventures of Jason and the Argonauts as Jason's love interest. Okay. Uh, but that's before she eventually killed you know, their children that they had together simply because she was jealous of Jason. And then she flees, obviously, because, you know, she wanted for murder. Mm-hmm. And she shacks up with King Aegeus. Wow. Very yeah. interesting. And so now she has seen Theseus and wants to kill Theseus. Correct. Well, anyways, Medea tasks Theseus to capture the Cretan bull, or sometimes known as the Marathonian bull. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because the climax of the story will feature the offspring of this bull. Mm. But we'll get to that soon enough. Long story short, he captures the bull, brings it back to Athens, and sacrifices it to either Athena and or Apollo. The sources kind of differ on that. But regardless, he's brought to the palace for a celebration in his honor, but there was something foul afoot. Medea mm-hmm. poisoned the mind of Aegeus into poisoning Theseus with tainted wine. Oh, no. Remember, he... Aegeus doesn't know that Theseus is his son yet. Right. So He just thinks he's some guy who's coming here and doing these labors and challenges and stuff. Exactly. Kind of like some Greek hotshot. Kind of, exactly. So before Theseus could drink the poison wine, though, Aegeus recognized the sword that Theseus carried, the same one that he had left his son just all those years ago, and he knocks the cup from Theseus' hands right before he's about to take a sip, saving him from the poison and finally acknowledges Theseus as his son. Wow. Yeah. So that stuff came in handy. Finally, right? Mm-hmm. So Mendia, you know, she knows she's screwed, so she pretty much immediately flees to Asia and isn't really part of the story from here on out. Good, you know. 
Scram. And it's at this point that we have to talk about King Minos of Crete. So, at some point before Theseus, King Minos had more or less subjugated Athens. There are multiple stories as to how it happened, but what's important is to know that there was a sanction, essentially, in place upon Athens. Every nine years, Athens had to send seven youths of each sex to Minos and Crete, and these youths were never seen again. Wow, that's so creepy. I know, it is really creepy. Well, the third iteration of this sort of exchange was coming up, and Theseus volunteered to take the place of one of the male youths. Mm. So he boards a ship with black sails and sets course for Crete. Remember, guys, it's important to remember that uh, Theseus was instructed by Aegeus to use white sails on his return home to signify his triumph. Okay. Also, what's interesting is that there actually are some real historical parallels here. The civilization that inhabited Crete did dominate the Greek world at you know this roughly this time. And in fact, their very name, the Minoan civilization, comes from King Minos. Mm-hmm. But again, that was something that was... We've given them that name in like the 19th century. So right. way, way, way later. But let's get back to Theseus. So what exactly awaited him, you might be wondering. Well, that would be a monstrous beast called the Minotaur, who was half human and half bull. And mm-hmm. here's what's nuts. Mm-hmm. The Minotaur was a beast born from the union of Minos's wife, <laughs> Pasiphae, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the Cretan bull that I had mentioned earlier. Oh my gosh. Yeah, again, guys, Greek mythology is wild. Uh, the creature was, unsurprisingly, a symbol of shame for Minos. <laughs> oh my god. And was hidden away in the intricate labyrinth that was designed by the skilled legendary craftsman Daedal, Daedalus, excuse me. Daedalus. That was terrible. Anyways, when Theseus arrived in Crete, he declared that he would enter the labyrinth and slay the Minotaur, freeing Athens from its obligation to sacrifice its youths. King Minos scoffed at this bold statement, yet his daughter, Ariadne, found herself captivated by Theseus's bravery. Mm. Yes. So Ariadne provided Theseus with a ball of thread, mm-hmm. advising him to unravel it as he ventured deeper into the labyrinth, thereby leaving a trail to find his way back. Wow, that's so interesting. Kind of like Hansel and Gretel with, yeah. the, with the crumbs. Yeah, exactly. Ariadne escorted Theseus to the labyrinth, and Theseus promised that if he returned from the labyrinth, he would take Ariadne with him back to Athens. That's also kind of important. Yeah. So he enters the labyrinth and immediately ties one end of the yarn to the entrance and unwinds it as he ventures deeper and deeper into the maze. He follows the advice of Daedalus, Deodalus, excuse me. Jeez, that's a hard name to say. That's a tough one. Yeah, I keep I kept on reading it when I was writing it this episode, and I was like, oh my god, I, this is gonna be tough to say when I actually have to to say it. Well, Anyways. don't worry, I don't know which one is correct, which pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. So you're good. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's very wrong. But anyways, he was the creator of the labyrinth, and his advice was always go forwards, always down, never left or right. Okay, I would listen to him. Yeah, I I would too. Theseus navigated the winding and complex paths of the labyrinth and eventually arrived at the heart of it to confront the Minotaur. Poor Minotaur. Yeah, well, he was, uh, he, when he was created, I guess he, he was created with all the wrath of Poseidon, 
Oh. It's a whole big backstory, but so, so he's, he's not just nice? con- oh no. He I mean he eats the children. Oh, that's, that's what's what... implied. Oh. Yeah. I didn't get that. Yeah. I was like, "Hmm, where are these kids going?" Yeah, no, cuz he eats them. <laughs> oh, but it's not his fault. He was created, you know? Yeah, but he's he's very mean and very very mean. <laughs> wow, those are really in-depth analysis <laughs> yeah. of the Minotaur. He's very mean and he's, well, very mean. <laughs> okay, so he confronts the Minotaur. So he confronts the Minotaur and the battle is grueling. So the beast was ferocious. Its physical strength uh, far surpassing that of any, like, just normal man's. I bet. But Theseus was armed with his courage, his father's sword, and unwavering determination, and ultimately struck down the Minotaur. So he eventually somehow overpowered the Minotaur with all of his strength and stabbed the beast in in the throat. Wow. Yeah, with his father's sword. Another version has him actually strangling him to death. Oh my goodness, that would be even harder. I know. But regardless, either way it happened, he decapitated the beast and Theseus used the string to retrace his steps and escape the labyrinth. Yay, Theseus. Yeah. He then managed to escape Crete altogether with all the young Athenians and Ariadne as well as her younger sister, Phaedra. There's a book, like a modern fiction book called Ariadne. Yeah, I so think... So it must be about her. I It must be. Yeah, because I haven't heard that name outside of this story. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it is because... And we'll get to it in a second. Ooh, okay. But they made a pit stop on the island of Naxos, which is roughly halfway between Crete and Athens, just to get some fresh water. And it's here where our hero, Theseus, does something very unhero-like. Oh, no. He just bails on Ariadne and ditches her on the island. What? Yeah, I don't understand why, but it even gets worse. Um, he eventually marries Phaedra. Her little sister? Yeah. Oh, heck no. Yeah, that was not cool of Theseus. What a... I, words that are not podcast friendly are coming to <laughs> mind to describe this young man. I know. There's... He... I see. I think her book is a book of vengeance is what I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. But I mean, it, it actually works out for her in the end because she eventually shacks up with Dionysus and, you know, he's a god, so. And he's a good time. Yeah, and he's a great time. Yeah, I mean, he's not like the, the god of war. He's the god of like wine and- And partying. Having, and partying, so. Yeah, good for her. Yeah. So they eventually set sail for Athens and arrive in port still using the black sails because Theseus forgot to change the sails to white. Theseus is like low-key, just such a child. <laughs> I mean, he probably is. He's probably like 19 or 20 at this time or something like that. He acts like it. He's yeah. constantly changing his love interest. He's forgetting the important detail of changing the sails. Yeah, he's, a... he's just in it for the glory. And it's a very important detail because King Aegeus runs up to the cliff when he sees like the boats on the horizon and he sees the black sails and, you know, he just overcome with grief, he plunges to his death. Oh my god. Yes. That is very Greek of this myth. Yeah, after all, he, after all, he gave very explicit instructions to Theseus to change the sails to white. Yes. And Theseus is like all like giddy that he's with Phaedra now. And yeah. And he's all high off beating the Minotaur and he doesn't think to change the sails. Exactly. And the body of water that he fell into, Stephanie, do you know what that is called today? The Aegean. The Aegean Sea, you're correct. Yay! Yes. 
So Theseus, you know, very shortly becomes king. And despite the sort of tragic circumstances around his ascension, Theseus did, you know, take the throne and became a wise and just ruler. Like he is remembered for uniting kind of the disparate communities of Attica into one city-state. Okay, so he matures over time. Right, he does. Like, Athens, that's why I called him the quasi-founder, is because Athens did, you know, again, according to mythology, did exist before. Right. But he made it into something a little bit more powerful. Okay. And again, like, during the time when these are being told, like, Athens was one of the most powerful city-states in all of Greece. Right. So, he creates, you know, the... his rule eventually, you know, creates a society where power was in the hands of the many instead of the few and mm-hmm. lay the groundwork for democracy. Yeah, that's which what is, Athens is famous for. Exactly. Yeah. And also, the ship that Theseus sailed to in Athens eventually became sort of a philosophical topic that we still talk about to this day. Really? The Theseus ship or Theseus's ship. Basically, the premise is that the ship sat in the harbor for centuries and they always wanted, the Athenians wanted to keep it seaworthy. So they had to replace bits of wood here and there just to keep it in good shape. Well, eventually it gets to the point that none of the original planks are still being used. So it begs the question, is it even the same ship at that point? Or, you know, maybe when did the old ship transform into the new one? Was it after the very first, like, at the first plank was was replaced is it after like 50 percent are replaced right it kind of just it's there is no right answer but it just begs that sort of question Mm. what do you think for me i would say that the ship is no longer the same ship once it's been completely replaced and i think it makes for me personally it makes that transition when the last piece of original part of the ship whether that be wood or something else is replaced Mm, that's good what do you think i think it's just the moment that one thing is changed, I think it's it, it's a different ship. I think it's a, it's in a constant state of change. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting because that makes me think of how, I, I don't know how accurate this is, but they say that every cell in your body regenerates by seven years time. Right. So you're a different person every seven years. Yeah. That's kind of that concept. That's what this made me think of. Yeah, definitely. Very interesting. Well... You have it, weirdos. That is the story of Theseus. And tell me, how exactly did the oracle's words manifest? I didn't fully understand that. Oh, it's because he was overcome with grief. And when he was on the cliff, he wasn't... I don't think he was all the way up the cliff. He just saw it and then plunged to his death. Oh. That's what I interpreted it to mean. That's so sad. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that tragic <laughs> tale with us. Yeah. And you know, it's supposed to be kind of like, it, I just like it because it's like, you know, it's a very standard Greek myth. Yes. And that like you have this amazing hero who do, who has, you know, lineage that's both regal and also uh, supernatural, right? The, the gods, the divine. Thank you. And he does these amazing quests, right? That he slays some like horrific beast. He has, you know, he helps people out. He's very just, mm-hmm. you know, but he also has these very fundamental flaws to him, right? Yes, he definitely embodies the hero archetype. Yeah. And I think it is like he is just a quintessential Greek hero. Well, that was awesome. I didn't know... I knew, like, vague parts about Theseus. I did not know this much of the story, so I'm really glad you shared it. Yeah. And there's even, like, the the stories of Theseus are even bigger. Like, there's stuff that happened after he becomes king, but I just like the Minotaur portion because that's what he's most known for. Right. 
That's fascinating. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much, babe. No problemo. Okay, Stephanie and weirdos, you heard about Theseus. Now it's Stephanie's turn to tell us about one of her favorite Greek myths. Yay! Okay. So like many, I love Greek mythology. I do have quite a few different favorites. Yeah. It's captivated many cultures for a reason. We have the jealous gods, the heroes like Theseus that you just mentioned, the adventurers. But the reason I chose today's myth is because it's different from a lot of the Greek myths we think of. The one thing I don't like about many Greek love stories is that the quote-unquote love is often depicted by force or manipulation, right? Right. Daphne, for example, turns into a tree to avoid being <laughs> assaulted by Apollo. I know that's kind of amazing. I'd rather it's be terrible. a tree than be with you. Yeah. It's, it's created some beautiful artwork. Definitely. Or if it's a mutually loving and respectful relationship, it almost always ends in tragedy, like Pyramus and Thisbe, which are like the original Romeo and Juliet. Yes. But the story I will share today depicts a more humble, earnest, and everlasting love, in my opinion. Today, I'm going to tell you all the tale of Baucis and Philemon. Aww. So long ago, in the region of Phrygia... In Asia Minor, there lived an elderly couple named Bacchus. It's spelled B-A-U-C-I-S, like Bacchus, but apparently the pronunciation is Bacchus. Hmm. And Philemon. Uh, Bacchus is the wife and Philemon is the husband. They were humble peasants who led a simple and contented life residing in a small cottage on a hillside. Despite their meager means, they possessed a generous and compassionate nature, always ready to extend a helping hand to others. One day, Zeus, that's the king of the gods, and his son Hermes disguised themselves as weary travelers and descended from Mount Olympus, that's where the gods hang out, to test the hospitality of the mortals. Oof. Side note. Again, I just want to say Zeus is the sender of thunder and lightning, rain, winds, and his traditional weapon is a thunderbolt. He was called the father or the ruler, the protector of both gods and men. Mm -hmm. So he's like the top dog. He's the top G. He's the top G. <laughs> and then Hermes was his son. He was the messenger of the gods and often the mediator between the realm of the dead in the underworld and the kingdom of the living. Right, and he was also one of the most intelligent, I think, of the gods. Yeah, he was really smart. I think he, like in his origin myth, he's like talking as a baby already, the day right. he's born. So, Zeus and Hermes traveled through various towns and villages in the region of Phrygia. They were seeking shelter and food, but they were consistently met with cold-heartedness and indifference. Disappointed by the lack of kindness they encountered... Zeus and Hermes decided to go to one more village, and they went to the village where Bacchus and Philemon lived. Again, they are rejected by everyone. And then finally, they reach the humble cottage of Bacchus and Philemon. The elderly couple greets them warmly and welcomes them into their home without hesitation. Mm. 
They offered their guests the best they had despite having very little. A simple meal, a warm fire, and a cozy bed. Yeah. But since they didn't have much, the food they offered was at first just comprised of like snacks and appetizers. I have a quote of what is listed in this tale. They had, quote, olives and cherries preserved in wine, endives, radish, cheese, eggs roasted in hearth embers, nuts and figs, wrinkly dates, plums and apples. It kind of sounds pretty tasty, honestly. That does sound like a really good snack. <laughs> no. <laughs> sounds... like, I mean, I would eat that today. Sounds like a really good picnic, actually. I know. But Bossus and Philemon were embarrassed they could not offer their guests more wine when they noticed something extraordinary happening. The wine pitcher they had originally poured for their visitors never emptied. It miraculously stayed full throughout the meal. Similarly, the jug of oil they used for the lamps in their homes remained full throughout the night, which was not common for them. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it's common for anyone. (laughs) Dazed by this strange evening, Bossus is wiping down the table with mint leaves. You know, they're done with the snacks, and wiping down the table with mint leaves helps it smell, like, nice and fresh for your guests. Yeah, it's like pine salt. Kind of like pine salt, yeah. And then Philemon whispered in her ear that they should consider sacrificing their prized goose. No! Who was more like a pet to them. Oh, man. In order to give their guests enough to eat. Because they hadn't provided any protein. Yeah, shit. (laughs) Bossis agreed. And she goes back to slay the goose. But she couldn't catch it. Good. Run, goose. (laughs) No matter how long she tried, she'd like stay and crouch and calm. And the goose was like her pet. So it would come over to her. And then when she'd reach for it, it would just like run away. This happened over and over and over again. She was out there in the back chasing this goose for a very long time. She came back inside with tears in her eyes. This old woman just crying, apologizing to the gentleman that they could not offer them more than this minimal meal. That is when the gods revealed who they were. Oh, snap. I have had a feeling that they probably were like, this is strange, right? Weird stuff is happening. Yeah. Yes, definitely. They were definitely eyeing each other like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How come the wine's not running out? I know. I'll be like, they should just keep on staying here. Mm-hmm. So they reveal who they are and they explain that they had been rudely turned away from mm. every other home in the village and expressed appreciation for this couple's generosity. In multiple iterations that I've seen of this story... There is always a line about how Bossus and Philemon try to defend their neighbors Mm. and saying, you know, this is a really poor town. You know, often people don't have a lot to give here, which I think is such a sweet detail. Yeah. they, They don't like jump to be like, yeah, see, we're the best. They want to put into context maybe why people were turning them away. Right. But Zeus was not having that. So, Zeus offered to grant them a single wish in return for their generosity. That's pretty big. What would you wish for? I'm just curious. If Zeus was like, Andrew, you were super generous. Let me give you one thing. What are you going to ask for? Um, probably, like, the ability to give you pretty dresses whenever you wanted. Wow. 
Really? <laughs> I feel like that. <laughs> that's probably not the right answer, but it's the, the answer that you wanted to hear. So it's the right answer. I love that so much. I will take the pretty dresses. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that that's very sweet. That's very selfless of you. I think a lot of people would ask for something materialistic, right? Yeah, probably like money or... Money, a house, more food, something like that. Yeah. Particularly because they're poor. But Bossus and Philemon, deeply devoted to each other, asked that they never be separated from one another and that when the time came for them to leave the world that they would be allowed to leave it together oh that's so sweet that's so sweet that they could when they die that neither one of them had to grieve the other they want to die together Mm. oh that tugs at my heartstrings so much pleased with their selfless wish zeus grants them their request However, he also warns them of an impending catastrophe. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) The gods revealed that they plan to destroy the village. Yas! (laughs) Slay! (laughs) Hermes instructed them, leave the village and climb the hill. Do not look back. Mm. Whatever happens, do not look back. You have earned your reward and your neighbors have earned their punishment. Oh, snap. So weirdos, this may sound like an extreme reaction to people being rude to strangers, but for the ancient Greeks, hospitality wasn't just a nice gesture. There was a sacred law regarding hospitality called Xenia. Yeah. This was the law or custom of offering protection and hospitality to strangers. This is actually where we get the word xenophobia, which is its opposite. The yeah. fear of strangers. Oh, wow. I never put two and two together. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to mention that earlier, but I was like, oh, I bet Stephanie's going to say it later on. Yeah, I knew you'd be thinking about it. Yeah. The law was felt to be so fundamental to human civilized life that its patron, its patron was Zeus. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a big deal then. Who was known as, quote, the god who protects strangers. These rules essentially stated that the host must not harm the guest, the guest must not harm the host, and not offering hospitality was seen as a serious affront against the gods. It was very serious. So they were not only committing, like, in our perspective, like, the sin of uh, turning their backs on people, they actually committed that sin against Zeus himself. Right, and he takes that personally. He was... Not a very chill guy. No, he. if you crossed him, you were going to pay. And it wasn't a matter of like, if you were going to pay, it was a matter of how much. And it was usually a very high price. Exactly. He was not a forgiving man. God. God. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bossus and Philemon follow the instructions, right? They mm-hmm. leave their cottage and they climb the hill that they're on. And they start to notice streams of water are gushing past them. Ugh. Not wanting to turn their backs on the community as they met its tragic end, they agreed to do the one thing they were warned against. Bossus and Philemon reached the top of the hill. They exchanged I love yous, and together, hand in hand, they glanced back one last time to see their village completely consumed by a flood. Ugh. At that moment, Bossus and Philemon were transformed into intertwined trees. Bossus, a linden, and Philemon, an oak, growing from a single trunk, Hmm. forever bound together in their love and devotion, which is what they had requested. Yeah. They just didn't 
probably know at the time they were going to get it so quickly. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And to me, that just, again, typically our heroes are like Theseus, right? Right. Doing these big acts of slaying a minotaur, but I think there's such a quiet heroism in we've known these people their whole lives. You know, these are the elders of the town. We cannot not watch them go. Right. We have to look at the town. And even though they know, like, something bad's going to happen to us as a result, their lives not necessarily ended, they're not killed, but they're transformed. Right, exactly. I thought that was so beautiful. That is really cool. Well, it's not cool, but it's beautiful. Yeah. The story of Bossus and Philemon spread throughout the land, teaching people the value of hospitality and the rewards that come from acts of kindness and selflessness. Mm. So, as a result, pilgrims would visit from all over and leave tokens hanging from the branches. For hundreds of years, these trees stood, intertwined, coming from that single trunk, symbols of eternal love and humble kindness. And that is the heartwarming tale of Bossus and Philemon. Oh, well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's I, I didn't know um, how much more to share, but it has inspired a ton of art. Oh, um, yeah. There's, I think, Ovid writes about them. There's a painting about them. Like, if you look up Bossus and Philemon art, it's it's a big reference that comes across in many cultures for a really long time. Right. So, yeah, that's I know this is, like, such a weird one to do. It's an oddball one, but it is history for weirdos, after all. Yeah, I wanted to do one of the less well-known Greek myths. That's definitely, in my opinion at least, like, a very unknown one. So, yeah. I think mission accomplished. And this is super corny and cheesy of me to share weirdos, but I I think Bosses and Philemon kind of remind me of me and Andrew. Oh, ew. The, ew. so embarrassing! So embarrassing. But that's that's the sap in me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is my Greek myth for this week for our very special 90th episode. Yes, weirdos. I hope you guys really enjoyed this because I enjoyed listening to you and I enjoyed telling the tale of Theseus. So Yes, and I enjoyed telling the tale of Bossus and Philemon. This was really cool. Yeah. Because it was more like, to me, it felt more like story time. Usually our episodes feel like story time to me, but even more so because we're talking about myths. Yeah, exactly. And I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. And weirdos, before we say goodbye... Please do not forget, we are going to Italy next <laughs> yes. year. We would love for as many weirdos to come as possible. The link to learn more about our itinerary, all the amazing sites we are going to see in both Rome and Florence, as well as where you can get your tickets, is going to be in our show notes, right? Correct, yes. As well as the link in our bio on Instagram, if you follow us on Instagram. And if you don't, check us out at History for Weirdos. Exactly. And... Weirdos, if you guys come, I can promise you it will be an amazing time. It's going to be so amazing. The list, I just want you to go and look. Just look at the list of places we're going to (laughs) go. On top of the incredible historical sites we get to see and talk about and nerd out about together, we also get to go to a farm in In, Tuscany. And eat food there. Like literally farm to table in Tuscany. That alone. (laughs) You should go for that alone. And to hang out with us, of course. And guys, if you couldn't tell, Stephanie's a huge foodie, so. Yes. That's the big selling item for me is the good food. Not like, like, (laughs) not like the beautiful Pantheon or like, or the Roman uh, Forum. It's the Tuscan 
farm. Oof, the Tuscan the farm. There's going to be animals there that we can pet. We already checked. That's true. For all the wine drinkers, there's going to be fresh wine. Guys, and also, and speaking of wine, if we go, and I think I mentioned this already, but if we go to, or when we go to Florence, you can order, like, essentially medieval, <laughs> like, at a medieval drive through I'm not even joking. This was, like, created during the time of the plagues uh, in, like, you know, medieval times, and people would, you'd order wine, and they would just hand it to you, and, like, there was a little, like, portico. Yeah, this little, like, uh, niche in the wall. Yeah. That was made for for wine sell, sales, and we've all lived through a plague. We know what that's like. You do need some wine sometimes. Exactly. So we get to see that as well. There's just so many cool things, and we really want as many folks to go as possible because that's part of what makes this so special is the opportunity to spend time in community together in person in Italy. Of all places. Of all places. Well, weirdos, that's it for this week. You know what to do, and until next time. Until next time, weirdos. Adios. Did we do a good job? No, I don't think so. <laughs>